0: This is Tamara Keith.
1: And I'm Scott Detrow.
0: Over the last few weeks, we've been asking you to take a moment to contribute to public radio, your local station, and us here at the podcast by going to donate.npr.org politics.
1: And we're going to be transparent with you here. As part of this, the people at NPR who have put all of this together have given us some suggested themes to talk to you about.
0: And this week's theme is relaxation. Right. Because you listen to this podcast to relax.
1: So maybe when it comes to the NPR Politics podcast, that is not the case because a lot of the stuff we talk about is not relaxing. It's confusing and sometimes it is pretty exhausting.
0: Right. We live on this stuff, we breathe this stuff. So you don't have to.
1: So to do that though, we do need your help. And that's why we're asking you to go to donate.npr.org/slash politics and make a contribution. It'll help us here at NPR and it'll also help your local member station head over to donate.npr.org slash politics. And when you do, share your reasons why with the hashtag why Public radio.
0: That's donate.npr.org slash politics and the hashtag why Public radio. Thanks so much. And here's the show.
2: Hi, this is Suzanne in Albany, New York. My dog Danny and I listen to podcasts while walking. NPR politics is his favorite. This podcast was recorded at
0: Oh my gosh, this is awesome. 11 p.m. on Tuesday, December 5th.
2: Things may have changed by the time you hear this. You can listen to NPR Politics on NPR One or wherever you get your podcasts. Now here's the show.
0: Hey there, it's the NPR Politics Podcast. Congressman John Conyers announced this morning that he is stepping down today two weeks after sexual harassment allegations against him became public. Meanwhile, President Trump has officially endorsed Roy Moore for Senate in Alabama, and the Republican National Committee is once again backing Moore financially. The government is set to run out of funding on Friday. And more updates on the Russia investigation. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House for NPR.
2: I'm Scott Tetrow. I cover Congress. And I'm Mara Liason, national political correspondent.
0: All right. It's Tuesday, and there has been a lot of news already.
1: There has. We had one extra podcast last week, and I feel like we probably could have justified, though for the sake of our weekends, we did not, like three podcasts since then. Yes.
0: But let's just go with this one. We have a lot to cram in. And let's start with the latest news today, which is that longtime Congressman John Conyers announced today on a local Detroit radio show that he is stepping down.
2: I am retiring today, and uh, I want everyone to know how much I appreciate
0: the support, the the incredible, undiminished support I've received across the years from my supporters, not only in my district, but across the country as well. Now, Conyers is a Democrat. He had been under pressure from both Democrats and Republicans. To resign in light of uh, several accusations of sexual harassment and also a report that he used taxpayer funds to pay off a sexual harassment claim. Scott, he says he's retiring today, effective immediately.
1: He's retiring and stepping down from his seat that he will no longer serve in. So I think we can call this resigning from his seat.
0: Yeah, it seems like a euphemism.
1: Yeah, I think uh, he said uh, the undiminished support over the years. What's really interesting is how much support for John Conyers did diminish among his Democratic colleagues over a period... Of several days. Remember, the first round of of reports about sexual misconduct with Conyers came just before Thanksgiving, among them a report from BuzzFeed saying that uh, his office had paid out taxpayer funded money to someone to settle a sexual harassment charge that was at the time not disclosed. And on the Sunday after Thanksgiving, Nancy Pelosi goes on Meet the Press and has, by all accounts, a disastrous interview where she called him an icon, said that she wanted to hear more from the accusations, did not immediately say she believed the accusers, which, of course, has been a long running thread to all of these accusations coming forward. And it's remarkable how quickly the ground shifted, how many Democrats started to say, no, they, they, they do believe the accusers and they think Conyers should resign, including in the end, Nancy Pelosi.
0: And one of the accusers, I think one of the things that really helped shift that ground is the woman who had gotten this settlement. There was a nondisclosure agreement, but she busted the nondisclosure agreement, went on the Today Show and talked in a very compelling way about the pressure she felt from Congressman Conyers. Mm -hmm. So he's out. There are a bunch of other people. I mean, even since we last taped the podcast, another name or two have come out of members of Congress who are accused of sexual harassment of some kind. Where does this go from here?
2: Well, I think it goes in different directions depending on what party these people are in. The Democrats want to be the party of zero tolerance for sexual harassment. They want to be the party that believes the women. They want to say the Republicans are the party that calls women liars as the president does against his accusers, as Roy Moore in Alabama has done against his accusers. So there are really different imperatives here. But I do think um, there's been a move, number one, to make these kinds of settlements public, since they are being paid with taxpayer money, and also to move quickly to push people out uh, who have these accusations against them if people determine the accusations are credible.
0: Okay, let's move on to Roy Moore. He is the Republican Senate candidate in Alabama. The election is next week. It's a special election. He is accused of pursuing sexual contact with teenagers, including one who was 14 years old at the time. So that's um something that has been out there for several weeks and for a long time or at least at the beginning, the establishment Republicans leadership They were trying to put some distance between themselves and Roy Moore. They said they believed the women. Uh, Mitch McConnell, for instance, the Republican leader in the Senate, said, I think the women are credible.
2: Roy Moore should drop out. Well, he didn't. He didn't drop out. And what happened was the Republican Party saw this as a political problem. Roy Moore's polls were taking a hit. But over time, as the accusations were not today's news, he started coming back up. He was able to present himself, especially in a super red state like Alabama, as being the victim of a liberal campaign against him. He said the women were liars. The latest wrinkle, the the only piece of recent news has been that one woman who dated Roy Moore openly when she was 17 years old uh, took umbrage at the fact that he has been saying he doesn't know any of these women and calling them all liars. She found in her attic a little piece of memorabilia, part of a scrapbook where he had written an inscription to her upon graduating from high school, so clearly showing that, yes, he at least did know her. She didn't like it that her integrity had been impugned. So that's a new wrinkle. I don't know if it's enough to revive all these charges, but there's been a huge 180. There was the nervousness at the White House. Ivanka Trump said there's a special place in hell for people who prey on children. The president was very quiet on this, but over time... That has evolved. The president moved a little bit and said, well, it's up to the voters of Alabama. Finally, he decided to embrace more, endorse more, say that Moore denies these allegations uh, and we can't have a Democrat in the seat. Now, the RNC, which had pulled the funding for more, is back supporting him
0: well and let's hear from the president today he put his voice to what the White House had announced yesterday and what he had tweeted Uh, here he is earlier today
3: I think he's gonna do very well we don't want to have a liberal Democrat in Alabama believe me we want strong borders we want uh, stopping crime we want to have the things that uh, we represent and we certainly don't want to have a liberal Democrat that's controlled by Nancy Pelosi and controlled by Chuck Schumer. We don't want to have that for Alabama.
1: Thank you. Over so and- I have two big thoughts here. One is just kind of an observation, and that is over the last few months, we have seen this watershed shift. In american culture where there is increasingly zero tolerance for sexual assault sexual harassment and people are having their careers destroyed people are being fired there has been accountability and belief for women accusers in a way that we haven't seen on such a big scale before and there is one big exception to that and that is the person who sits in the oval office who has been accused by many women of sexual assault has at so far paid zero repercussions and is now endorsing a Senate candidate and saying that he believes him and not the accusers. So those are two very hard things to square in culture right now.
0: And to be clear, both Trump and Roy Moore deny the allegations against them.
2: I don't think we're seeing a big moment in American culture. We're seeing a big moment in parts of American culture, in the media, in journalism, in Hollywood, um, some parts of progressive Corporations, but we're not seeing it in the Republican Party. We are seeing the Democrats struggle with this, but want to be the party of zero tolerance. And the president just said we can't have a liberal Democrat. Can we just fact check really quick? Is Doug Jones, the Democratic candidate in Alabama, actually a liberal Democrat? Yes, compared to Roy Moore, Doug Jones is a liberal Democrat. But he's mostly he's got a pretty moderate a
1: conservative record. Yeah. I mean, he's a Democrat who fits with Alabama. Yeah.
2: Okay, Except that he's pro-choice, and that has become the big rallying cry for Republicans there. Scott, you had a second point.
1: I had a second point, and this is more focused on the RNC than President Trump, because President Trump all along was not joining the chorus of McConnell and Ryan and many other Republicans in Washington, yeah, saying that, that more needs to go. I mean, there was always that if true... Uh, He should step aside. And that was never out of Trump's mouth. That was only a White House press office statement. That's correct. But my question is for the RNC, because the RNC pulls its support for Roy Moore, pulls its funding for Roy Moore after McConnell and others cut ties. Suddenly it changes its mind. So what is your message? What is your logical message to voters, to Republican office holders around the country? If you're saying we have a moral objection here, cutting
0: ties, uh, maybe he could win. So I have two thoughts on this. Mm -hmm. One. Back when the Harvey Weinstein story broke Mm -hmm. and Harvey Weinstein was this big Democratic donor, the RNC went after Democrats. Mm -hmm. They put up these web videos that were like, you've got to give that money back. I mean, this is a
1: pretty bad guy uh, who did some really awful things. It is it is not
2: to be accepted by us.
1: People that took money from him should probably give it back.
2: So they were
0: putting pressure on Democrats to, you know, disavow and give back the money to a Democratic donor. And, and, there and they was did this... the
1: same with money that Al Franken helped raise.
0: Exactly. And now they're like, yeah, OK, we're going to give money to this guy who's accused of some pretty terrible things. But the other thing is the RNC is the Republican Party, and it is led by Donald J. Trump, President Trump. So it's not a coincidence that on the very day that President Trump calls Roy Moore and says, actually, I'm going to endorse you, the RNC suddenly starts sending money back to Roy Moore.
2: Of all the political entities, the RNC is wholly owned subsidiary of whoever is in the White House. But I do think it sends a message. If you're a Republican, no matter what you do or what you're accused of, we're going to stick by you. Mitch McConnell, the
0: Republican leader, had initially said, we believe the women, they're credible, Roy Moore should go. But then something happened, which is Roy Moore didn't go. And as a result, they're kind of stuck with him. And so over the weekend, Mitch McConnell essentially said, well, it's up to the voters of Alabama now
2: and we'll seat him if he's elected. So now... Roy Moore will probably be elected. It's it's just hard to do the math in Alabama to see how a Democrat could win. So if you have Roy Moore in the Senate, my question is, does he become an albatross to the Republicans or will he be a reliable vote for them? He could be both. He could be or neither. He could be an unreliable <laughs> he may vote be a reliable vote, yeah. and not an albatross. He could be an albatross and a reliable vote. We just don't know. They're getting... A wild card here.
1: Let me just hedge the podcast bets on, on what Please. might happen next week because I think I think Mara's probably right. The odds are, are more in favor of a more win than, than a Jones win, but it's a mid-December special election. You don't know who's going to be motivated to show up or not. If, you know, Two in 10 Republican voters say, you know what, forget it. And if you look historically at Roy Moore's statewide wins, he often trails behind the other statewide Republican candidates. He there was underperforms. A, yeah, there was a, a chunk of Republicans who were done with Moore to begin with. And uh, Jones does have a lot of money. He has been massively outspending Moore. If somehow Democrats are able to convince their voters to show up like it's a general election and Republicans think, oh, I'm just sick of this, that that creates a window where Jones could conceivably make this happen. Seems like it's probably unlikely at this point, but I I, I don't think this race is a done deal at the moment.
0: So, as President Trump likes to say, we'll see what happens. We'll see. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, the latest in the Russia investigation and also are we going to have a government shutdown or not?
1: Support for this podcast and the following message come from CLR maker of CLR Bath & Kitchen for the toughest cleaning jobs. Take on everything from grimy porcelain tubs to old spills on the refrigerator shelves. Spray on and wipe clean on granite countertops, stainless steel appliances, and ceramic tile. CLR Bath & Kitchen has been given the EPA's Safer Choice Seal. Woman-owned, American-made, and backed by a 100% money-back guarantee. CLR Bath & Kitchen. Hey, it's Scott Detrow.
0: And I'm Tamara Keith.
1: And we just want to let you know that we are doing a live show here in D.C. in January.
0: It's at the Warner Theater, and it's called President Trump one year in.
1: If you're in town, if you're nearby, we'd love for you to join us.
0: You'll want to be indoors in January watching us do our live podcast.
1: It's true. Last time we did it, we sold it out. It was a nice, warm, cozy environment. Great time.
0: And what could possibly be a better holiday gift than hanging out with us?
1: You can learn more and get tickets at nprpresents.org.
0: That's nprpresents, all one word.org. It's
1: going to be a lot of fun. We'll all be there. We'd love for you to be there too.
0: We're back, and we have another friend who has joined us, Ryan Lucas. You cover the Justice Department. I do indeed. And uh, you were just here last Friday.
3: (laughs) It wasn't that long ago, was it? Yeah.
0: Yeah, so we did a special episode last Friday all about Michael Flynn, the president's former national security advisor who pled guilty to lying to the FBI. And since then, there have been a few Russia investigation-related developments, and we just want to walk through a few of them. Let's start with uh, one involving Trump's former campaign chairman, Paul Manafort. The Mueller team filed some documents yesterday.
3: They did. Really kind of remarkable filings, actually. And they dropped last night, so Monday evening. And what they say is that Paul Manafort was drafting an op-ed with a longtime Russian associate to try to sway public opinion in Manafort's case. Now, there are a couple issues with this. One is that special counsel's office say that this Russian associate has ties to Russia's intelligence services. Number one, that's a a bit of a no-no. Number two, they said that uh, this violated a gag order that the judge overseeing Manafort's case had imposed on the sides not to discuss this case in the press. And The reason why this is also important in this instance is because Manafort and Manafort's defense team and the special counsel had agreed to a bail package last week uh, that would allow him to come out from home confinement. And the special counsel had agreed to it on Thursday. And then we get to Monday and the special counsel says, well, Manafort was up to no good. We're going to have to change our mind on that.
0: Okay, that is that. Over the weekend... Ryan, something else happened. News broke out about a certain FBI agent who sent some text messages. Or maybe you should just explain what the story is, because President Trump has been tweeting about it a lot.
3: He has indeed. Yes. Over over the weekend in particular, there was a barrage of tweets related to this. But uh, so what happened was the The Washington Post reported on Saturday, that a senior FBI agent who worked on the Hillary Clinton email case, as well as the the Russia investigation, was removed from the special counsel's team over the summer because of politically charged text messages, anti-Trump text messages that this agent was exchanging with another individual. The name of this agent is Peter Strzok, senior counterintelligence guy at the bureau. Now, I've spoken with, with some folks in the FBI, and what they say is that the texts themselves were not; they did not break any rules. They did not break the ethics guideline of the FBI. What they, they were
0: private text messages. They were private text
3: messages, which FBI agents are are allowed to express political views privately. The perception of impropriety. Uh, of of politicking around the investigation is the problem. And I will say that uh, what the special counsel's office said in response to this report is that as soon as special counsel Robert Mueller learned of these text messages, Agent Strzok was removed from the special counsel's
1: investigation.
0: And the person he had been exchanging messages with had already rotated off of the team. Exactly.
1: So it seems like he was removed by Mueller out of extreme caution and awareness of how that could easily be politicized, which seemed like a good idea because, of course, once this news was reported, it was politicized and President Trump repeatedly referred to it in his dozen weekend tweets going on about the investigation, defending himself, saying this is a witch hunt.
3: There are a couple of important things to note here. One is the timing, yeah. the fact that... This came out the day after Michael Flynn uh, reached his plea deal, uh, pleaded guilty in court to line to the FBI, and said that he's cooperating with the special counsel in the Russia investigation. Republicans on the Hill have been very interested in the dealings around the Hillary Clinton email case and who was working on what when, what exchanges there were among folks working on that case. The fact that this report came out the day after Flynn's plea... Is important to know. Mm -hmm.
2: And you're saying possibly not a coincidence.
3: And there may have been political motivations.
2: Because Donald Trump, his strategy against Mueller is to try to undermine his credibility at every turn, not only saying it's a witch hunt, saying he's got people who supported Hillary Mm -hmm. on his team. He complained bitterly about why he said Flynn's life was ruined, where Hillary Clinton, quote, lied to the FBI, and there's no evidence that she did, and she was allowed to get off scot free. So he's continuing to run pretty full tilt, not only against Hillary Clinton but also against the FBI. He called the FBI an, an agency whose reputation was in tatters. I mean, he has. This is the strategy, to and it's been used before. You could even argue that the Clintons used it during the Monica Lewinsky investigation to try to undermine the legitimacy of your accusers or investigators.
1: I should also point out that I think Hillary Clinton would disagree that she got off scot-free from that investigation because the Clinton (laughs) camp has very firm belief that it was Jim Comey's summer press conference and then October letter that cost her a very close election.
3: There are a couple of things here. One is that uh, going after the FBI is questionable for two reasons, if not more. One is... Do you really want to anger the FBI? Uh, They're they pretty have powerful. investigative powers and all within the law. Uh, two, the corrosive impact that this can have on public trust in a very important agency, in a very important institution that is there to serve the public interest, can have a long-term detrimental impact. And there are people within the legal community and um, the law enforcement world that, that have serious concerns about that.
0: Isn't uh, there also an argument, though, that this agent had to know that there was a higher standard that anybody that's involved in this investigation has to be just like buttoned up incredibly careful like you're you're under a microscope
3: that's a fair argument and and one should know that the political winds around this investigation are pretty harsh and you have to be particularly careful about what you're saying what you're doing and and how you engage. One thing that I will say is that in response to how the FBI community has responded to this, when Trump's tweets disparaging the Bureau and its agents came out, the head of the FBI Agents Association, Tom O'Connor, tweeted over the weekend that, you know, every day the FBI special agents put their lives on the line to protect the public, and they do it with integrity and professionalism. And he said that this is why you know, the FBI is so important to the country and that FBI agents are dedicated to their mission. This was very important stuff for agents of the FBI to express because they felt very disparaged over the past year with the Clinton investigation, Comey's firing. It felt like a place under siege in in many ways. They were hoping that they'd turn the corner. Now we have this again.
2: I don't think they can turn a corner as long as the president is under investigation. But he also, the inspector general of the Justice Department is investigating how the Hillary email investigation was handled. Because you've got the Clinton campaign, as Scott said, thinking it's why she lost. You've got Republicans saying she was let off scot-free, including the president. This is something the president has asked for in tweet after tweet. Why isn't there an investigation of that investigation?
3: The inspector general, as you said, is is conducting an investigation into exactly that.
2: And we've
1: talked a lot before in previous pods about uh, how Trump has really moved the goalposts of a president urging the Justice Department to do this or that, calling for investigations. I do think that as Trump continues to say, what about Hillary Clinton? It's incredibly effective when you're running against Hillary Clinton. And I wonder if the the power of the water about Hillary Clinton erodes the further and further we get into a presidency of Donald Trump and not Hillary Clinton. <laughs>
0: All right, I want to direct you to one more tweet. And this is a tweet that is the tweet that rocked the world over the weekend.
1: (laughs) Can I just say something about Twitter as you do this right now? Twitter just sent out its most retweeted and most talked about tweets of the year. And what was funny to me is how most of them had nothing to do with what we talk about. And the top retweet of the year was some kid asking for chicken McNuggets. That became the most (laughs) tweeted thing in the history of the world. To, onward to your much more relevant tweet. I'm I would just like saying, some chicken McTuggets. We focus on a very small corner of Twitter.
0: <laughs> yes.
1: And there's a lot out there.
0: All right. This is the tweet that rocked a very narrow corner of the world for several hours this weekend. I had to fire General Flynn because he lied to the vice president and the FBI. He has pled guilty to those lies. It is a shame because his actions during the transition were lawful. There was nothing to hide, exclamation point. So the reason, like, I was off Twitter for a little while and then I turned it on and I was like, why is everyone suddenly talking about obstruction of justice? Again. Again. (laughs) Yeah, I know.
3: So here's how this tweet kind of breaks down with the obstruction of justice question. First, let's go back to February when, according to former FBI Director James Comey, Trump asked Comey to lay off Flynn. This happened the day after Flynn had left his job as national security adviser, departed, resigned, fired. You can pick the word.
0: Resigned under pressure.
3: Under pressure. So the day after that, according to Comey's account, Trump asks Comey to lay off of Flynn. I hope that you can see your way to, to letting this go. Now coming back to the tweet, if Trump knew at that time that Flynn had lied to the FBI, then he's kind of using his position as president, as Comey's superior, to leverage Comey into backing off the investigation. Then you can get to the point where he fires Comey. So all of this, if he knew about Flynn's lying to the FBI at that point in time, the presentation is that, he was then obstructing justice. If he didn't know, which is how he had previously played it, then he couldn't have been instructing that because he didn't know that that there was that problem.
0: So this tweet happens, and then not long after that, President Trump's personal private attorney, whose job it is to deal with the Mueller investigation, a man named John Dowd, comes forward and says, that tweet that the president sent out Saturday morning Actually, I'm the one who came up with the language and then I gave it to the social media director, Dan Scavino, and this wasn't the president. This was me. So there you go.
3: And there are questions as to what exactly transpired. That is the story that the White House is sticking to at this point in time.
0: And so after Dowd said, I wrote the tweet and all of these things, I got in touch with Dowd and he insisted that no one had ever told the White House that Flynn had lied to the FBI. Big
1: picture, we're still kind of in the same zone that we were all along when it comes to this angle of the case, right? I mean, none of that big picture timeline has changed based on this tweet, right? No. No. Okay, so that's where we were to begin with, I guess. This just kind of colored in the lines a little bit more.
3: This could conceivably be another brick in building a case of obstruction of justice. It depends on how you interpret it, and it depends on what the ultimate facts
0: are. Okay, one last thing before we go. When we left do you here Friday night, the Senate was getting ready to vote on a massive tax bill that was being uh, edited as we were speaking with notes in the margins. That has passed. The House has voted to go to conference. The Senate is expected to do the same. We'll get back to that later. Meanwhile, there's a deadline. At the end of this week, Scott, the funding for the government runs out. So where are we with that?
1: So quick thing on the taxes uh, first. uh, Our colleague Kelsey Snell did a really great story at NPR.org looking into some of those last minute changes in the tax bill, which had not even materialized yet at the time that we were all talking Friday evening. Uh, On the shutdown, uh, it's Tuesday, and Tuesday and Friday are lifetimes apart in in the way you view government shutdown clocks. It looks like there's big picture agreement at the moment to punt this deadline a couple weeks. December 22nd is the new deadline that we're talking about. That could change, though, because there's elements of the Republican caucus on the House side who want it to go longer. They are not super thrilled about doing this all just ahead of Christmas. They feel like that would give Democrats more leverage. Up in the air, it seems at the moment like we are on a path for a minor can kick to a couple weeks from now.
0: Okay, that's it. We will be back on Thursday with our regular weekly roundup. In the meantime, keep up with our coverage on NPR.org, on your local public radio station, and on the NPR One app. If you love the show, or even just like it, please subscribe and rate us on iTunes. That helps other people find us. One other great way to support us is to support your local public radio station and tell them we sent you. There is an easy way to do it. Go to donate.npr.org politics. This is very important because there's a minor competition going on with other podcasts.
1: We are currently leading all the other NPR podcasts in listener contributions. We would love to keep it that way. If you have not gone to donate.npr.org politics yet, we would urge you to do so and be super appreciative if you did.
0: And tell your friends why you did support us using the hashtag WhyPublicRadio. And thank you. I'm Tamara Keith. I cover the White House for NPR.
1: I'm Scott Detrow. I cover Congress. I'm Ryan
0: Lucas. I cover the Justice Department.
2: And I'm Mara Liasson, National Political Correspondent.
0: Thanks for listening to the NPR Politics Podcast.